Strategic Healthcare Partners, founded by principals John Crew and Mike Scribner, operates from offices in Savannah and Atlanta. Our diverse team prioritizes clients, ensuring we fully understand their needs. As your business partner, we are an extension of your professional identity. SHP tailors services to your individual needs, offering flexible pricing structures. From IPA management to financial analysis, we're here to empower your organization. Visit shpllc.com for details. Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Stethoscope, Vital Conversations with SHP. In today's episode, we dive deep into some of the most pressing and timely healthcare news headlines. Our discussion includes proposed changes to prior authorizations, which have the potential to save billions in employee costs, Best Buy's expansion of its at-home healthcare service by partnering with healthcare systems. Additionally, we explore the pediatric mental health crisis, a growing problem that requires urgent attention. And we also talk about the fact that medical debt is predominantly owned by hospitals. Join Jason and me as we unpack these issues, provide insights, and offer potential solutions to address the challenges facing the healthcare industry. Good morning, it's Jason Crosby. How are you doing, Aaron? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, Jason. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. For for the few folks who are just as interested, it is March Madness time. That is, as my kids know, it's Christmas time for me. And so here we sit during the right before the first round of March Madness. And so I'm really excited. I'm really excited to go bust in the first round again, like I did a few <laughs> years ago. So you, this may be Christmas for you, but it's more like Halloween for me. <laughs> That's right. You know, the multiple electronic balling up of your bracket that happens now. Yeah. (laughs) Friday, that'll be happening for me. Anyhow, uh, I know we've got some news headlines we wanted to cover this morning. What do you have on the uh, docket to talk about? Well, I, I know I tend towards the nerdy things, and I promise that there is a nerdy headline here. But one that I I kind of found interesting is regarding the prior auth. Um, So the the federal government was going to uh, late last year announce that they were going to be releasing a rule about uh, prior authorizations and shortening the window on emergent ones. Uh, In modern healthcare today, they uh, or or the other day, they released an article uh, about this proposed rule and. And kind of the nuts and bolts of it is that prior offs are harming and hurting patients. Um, and in their proposed rules, they're cutting the requirement for a standard prior authorization to be seven days instead of 14, and then within 72 hours for urgent requests. And we'll have the link uh, to this article in the show note. The comments from the public closed yesterday. Um, So usually with the federal government rulemaking process, if you're not familiar with that, it takes about 30 to 60 days after the comment window closes before they issue the final rule and and, or before they release the comments, depending if if they're releasing the final rule or not. So I would expect to see a final rule on prior auth changes sometime around May, June of this year. Yeah, a constant battle has been pre-auths, right? And you know, 
the personnel and resources needed to invest in making it happen on the provider side, the platforms aren't embedded. So it's it's good to finally talk about what about the patient side of the pre-auth process, right? You know, we understand we support providers. Obviously, providers are listening. And so both sides of the equations are impacted. Uh, it will be interesting what comes out, like you said, here later as things start to unfold a little bit more. But, yeah, very insightful article. Uh, hopefully some positive changes come to light. Yeah, the, the AMA had a survey that showed that 40% of physicians have dedicated staff for prior auth. So this could allow physicians to reallocate staff towards other things that are more important than chasing down authorizations. So I, I really hope this is an improvement for patient care. Yeah, you know, it's part of the old triple aim, right? We're trying to reduce cost of healthcare and administrative side in particular. That's such a dominant factor. Yeah, absolutely. This is an easy target, right? So, yeah. Well, what do you have, Jason? So, I'm going to stick on the consumer side of things. Uh, through uh, Fierce Healthcare, uh, recent study came out 15% uh, of adults have past due medical debt. What I found interesting, the percentage of that that's owed to hospitals. And so, uh, the survey found that 73% of that 15%, when I say 15%, it's non-elderly American adults. So 73% of those dollars are actually owed to hospitals, right? And so uh, a, a good majority do owe, obviously, to other providers. But here we are trying to take some of the healthcare emphasis out of the hospital setting, right? You and I have talked about quite a bit, you know, at-home type of care, ancillary services, yet still a majority, overwhelming majority of today's dollars are owed back to the hospital. Uh, it further stated that the uh, most of those owed at least $1,000 and one in five owe more than $5,000. And so obviously when you're in the hospital setting, you're going to have the higher uh, length of stay, higher uh, debt owed to those. But it just further shows that we still have this sort of mentality as we're trying to get into the retail space, for example, that you and I have spoken a lot about, ancillary services at home care, we still have this lingering effect from the inpatient hospital go to the ER sort of mentality that's hurting people's bank accounts. We talk a lot about, you know, it's obviously in the news a lot with student debt relief and that sort of thing, but what gets lost in all that is that we're all impacted to some extent when it comes to this medical debt sort of impact. And so I found that pretty alarming, uh, the, the percent that's still allocated to the hospital side. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny that you mentioned the, the retail space. One of the stories I, I, I thought about bringing in today was, uh, and, and you kind of forced me to, is Best Buy um, is expanding their partnerships directly with hospitals for home health delivery. Uh, so it, it, it kind of is that merging of of what you're talking about right there, Jason, is the retail space is now partnering directly with the hospitals. So it feels like these larger healthcare systems are going to get theirs at the end of the day. And in this case, partnering with Best Buy, again, of, of all companies, that, that one boggles my mind the most. Another odd one, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you, another thing that kind of bothers me about on the medical debt side, um, and we always, you know, we try to leave the politics out of these kinds of discussions, but 61% of those with medical debt have been contacted by a collection agency and are living at 250% of the poverty level or less. 
So think of those numbers. We just talked about how many people are carrying medical debt owed to the hospital that is $5,000 or more. They're being, you know, called upon by the collection agency and are living, you know, closer to, to the poverty line level. That that something has to be done at that point, or it's just going to continue to linger and not only impact the consumer in this case, the patient, but also the healthcare provider. Right. And so where does that that break? But I found that to be a pretty uh, alarming. There's also a good bit of those that live at 100 percent or below the poverty line that are in those statistics as well. And so those that are accumulating the medical debt are the ones that can't afford to pay the first dollar of that debt. It's not those that, hey, let me you know do the payment plan. It are those who can't even start the payment plan that the survey is finding is being most impacted by that lingering debt. So I'm sure we're going to have a lot more come of that as political season and, you know, comes about. We'll hear more about that, but yeah, uh, pretty impactful survey there. So you, you mentioned uh, the Best Buy uh, atrium deal, which ironically I had up as well. Why don't we dive into that? What'd you find from that uh, partnership? Yeah, so they're they're going to be partnering with Advocate Health, Ginsinger Health, Mount Sinai Health through Current Health. Best Buy bought Current Health in 2001 for 400 million dollars. So Best Buy is going out and partnering with these healthcare systems directly, um, which I again I find interesting. I'm not convinced, and, and again pivoting off of what you're talking with the the healthcare debt load. Is that really the best way where we have these for-profit companies that are aggressively for-profit? And, and don't get me wrong, I've, I've spent many, uh, many an hour and penny at Best Buy, uh, <laughs> nerd alert. Uh, but it, is that really the best player to be driving down costs, even though they're providing at-home care? And I think the industry has touted at-home care as a way of bringing down costs. But now we have a retail player entering that space aggressively entering into exclusive provider agreements with hospitals. Is that really what the best thing is? It, it's exciting if you read these articles. And again, we'll have everything in the show notes. It's pitched as a very exciting thing. And maybe it is. I'm just not convinced that a retailer like a Best Buy is the best choice in bringing down costs because um, they have to recoup their $400 million that they spent on the tool and then they need to make it profitable. Yeah, it's funny when you know, reading that article as well and hearing Best Buy and Geek Squad, I think, hmm, okay, well, maybe they bring some technical resources and wherewithal to such a partnership. And if we're talking technology at home, technology of the patient, okay, I get it. That makes sense. But to what extent, really? And I, I, my takeaway in reading that was, hmm, this might be a case where there's some value add, so don't take that away, but there's also the further, you know, vertical reach into a, a consumer Rolodex that I don't have. If I'm Best Buy and I have these partnerships now, these large health systems, I'm tapping into networks of people in the community I may not that may not come into my store today. And so it may allow me to have this outreach and solicitation to, you know, other potential nerds, as you just quoted, that maybe aren't coming into my store today, right? Or vice versa, if I'm Atrium in this case. And I'm trying to pitch to myself these other services I can provide to you as a patient that you're currently not taking advantage of. So there's that part, too, that had me wondering how much 
both had to analyze that, right? Like right. how much, how many folks is Best Buy seeing as a consumer that I'm not seeing as a provider that I can tap into and vice versa? I would right. be really curious what that number looks like. Yeah, in, in this article here, they talk about how Geek Squad will be involved. And so it's not just going to be provider. I was kind of imagining scrubs that are printed like the Geek Squad outfit, you know, the black tie. The, <laughs> uh, they, they're not doing that. Healthcare will still be provided. Direct patient care will be provided by, you know, trained professionals, MAs, RNs, and anybody with a letter uh, alphabet soup next to their name. But Best Buy's Geek Squad employees will be the ones there to install any technology for the at-home care. So whether it be like, you know, CPAP machines or uh, heart monitoring devices, uh, those sort of tech things that need a little bit of extra support, particularly with those that maybe aren't technically inclined, Best Buy will be delivering that alongside the care that they're delivering through these uh, partnerships. So it's going to be really interesting to see that again I, i'm not convinced this is going to lower costs and that's that's my biggest fear is that this is a really great idea but either it's going to be cost neutral or actually increase some costs you know yeah and i made a post last week might be on linkedin or, or something like that where you know we talked about dollar general for example and access to care we kind of talked about that in the rural communities right where Folks in the rural communities aren't necessarily driving or riding over to the hospital. So how do you get healthcare to them, right? Access to care kind of thing. Right. I'd be curious at what point, and I said this last week, is the Salvation Army or the Girl Scout cookie table that you typically see outside the, the Walmarts of the world in any setting is replaced by, in this case, an atrium table where they're taking your vitals and have kind of that preliminary screening of healthcare, you know, are we going to see that outside the Best Buy doors as you're walking in, which to me, maybe not in the Best Buy case, but in a Dollar General in a rural setting, I think is where we need to go. You got to go where the consumers are because they're not coming to you in a rural setting typically. Right. I'll be curious if we see an atrium table outside the Best Buy down the street. Yeah, I mean, you see that, but we CVS has their minute clinics, you know, that that wholly owned subsidiary provider. Are we going to see come to Best Buy and get your PET scan or, you know, yeah. the more the more technologically advanced sort of care uh, imaging, that sort of thing? Could that be potentially offered at your local Best Buy? Who knows? Uh, you know, there's been plenty of gags made about it in Hollywood. Uh, Parks and Rec had this whole thing, uh, a runner for a while, the uh, movie, what is it? Uh, Idiocracy is all about these mega corporations that are providing everything. Are we really headed that direction? I guess time will tell. Um, I know, Jason, we're running out of time here. Uh, I think we have time for one more headline. Yeah, just real quick. A uh, survey came out, uh, ECRI, the, the independent group tracking for, for safety and, and quality and cost, since we're talking about cost quite a bit, uh, came out with a, a survey recently. That was quite alarming, not to end on a sour note, but you and I have talked about uh, provider gaps out there, right? So what they have found is related to a, a JAMA pediatric study that showed the rate of depression among uh, children, in particular teens, grew by nearly 30 percent just between 2016 and 2020. Um, anxiety rates in that group growing at 30 percent clip. And so you and I talked about, I, I think, a 
you know, not too long ago, news segments about psychiatry being a specialty that has gaps in providers. We typically think of primary care and other specialties, but psychiatry is one of the top five specialties that lacks resources. And here we are now seeing that sort of diagnosis has crept to the top. It feels like a perfect storm, unfortunately, and something we don't think about yet. It's in the, to me, the most important population of children that hopefully will shed some light there. And so again, not to shed light, you know, end on a sour note here, but I think an impactful study that we need to certainly uh, be cognizant of. Well, if we want to end it on a happy note, I can squeeze one more in. Uh, this about AI uh, and yeah. Cardinal Health has started to use an AI tool uh, coupled with a fo follow-up program to keep patients with cancer out of the emergency department. We'll link to it in the show notes and maybe next uh, uh, next time uh, we get together here, we'll go more in depth on that. But we've talked about chat and GTP and some of the other large language model AIs helping physicians. Cardinal Health is actually already starting to use AI with that. So that's, that's really fascinating. Uh, they're seeing fantastic outcomes. They're claiming that the average hospital could save about $2.8 million annually in costs, which I think they're only counting large hospitals. I, I can think of a few smaller hospitals that that's their entire budget. <laughs> so, you know, may, maybe uh, we could see some cost savings there. So that that is exciting. Um, we'll leave it on an up up uh, ending note. So with that, I think we'll we'll sign off. Uh, Jason, any final words? Yeah. Good luck to everybody opening round March Madness. <laughs> <laughs> that's right and hopefully i don't go bust again uh, first thing this year that's right, all right everybody thank you for joining us today and uh join us next week we'll have a fantastic interview i'm sure and then in a couple of weeks we'll do uh, some more headline news all right thanks aaron talk to you soon you've been listening to beyond the stethoscope vital conversations with shp a production of strategic healthcare partners for more information about our podcast, including back episodes, show notes, transcripts, and more, visit our website at shpllc.com slash podcasts. And I know you've heard it before, but please consider rating our podcast in your favorite podcast app. It helps make others aware of the show. And our podcast wouldn't be possible without our wonderful team of folks. Editing and production assistance by Nyla Weave and myself, Aaron Higgins. And your episode hosts are Aaron Higgins and myself, Jason Crosby. Our social media coordinator is Jeremy Miller. Our executive producers are also our principals, Mike Scribner and John Crew. For more from SHP, consider following us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And as always, thank you for listening and have a great, wonderful day. Analytics. Lacking the tandem of actionable reporting with expert analysis? Not confident in the knowledge of your reporting system? SHP's expert analysts transform data from your EMR system into actionable insights. Understand your facility's performance, control outcomes, and enhance patient experience. As payment models shift to value-based care, our guidance can improve your bottom line. Visit shpllc.com for details.